0: on today's episode of the pact and we're talking about the ascension sonship sabbath shriner spirit baptism and other things that don't start with an s but are important and uh, I'm Patty Abendroth with Mike Grimes. Welcome to the Pactum. Got to mix things up
1: a little bit now and then. You throw me for a loop with that intro there. I, I you saw start you right were, after it, just doing firing the, them the, off. you the, the
0: stagger stutter
1: step or something like that. <laughs> I thought something was wrong with the sound Woo,
0: equipment. Woo, yep, I saw that.
1: Oh, man. Well, welcome to the Pactum. We're here for another episode with you. This is episode number 96. We are coming up on episode 100 here on the Pactum.
0: Feel free to give us ideas of what we should do for episode 100. I mean, yeah. we could maybe give away like $100,000, but yeah, that won't be possible. Sure. But if you have good ideas for a good, um, what's at 100? Uh, the Centennial?
1: Um, I think so. Is that the yeah. Centennial That edition? sounds about right. <laughs>
0: My son turned twenty. One, of my oldest turned twenty six this past week, and he said, "I'm like over a quarter of a decade old," <laughs> and I just had to bite my tongue and not correct you. That's
1: awesome. Uh, the chip,
0: the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Chip off the old block. Oh, man. Well, today on the episode, we are going to do some more listener questions. We have many listener we questions. Have we ho- so many.
0: So that either means that, I means people hopefully like to do this kind of I thing. I hope so.
1: So, I, And if you know.
0: don't like to do this sort of thing, we've got great topics. So just think of it as a topic. It's potpourri. Yeah. It's patpourri. It's. <laughs> It's, it's packed. A, it's packed in I mean, again, talking about the Sabbath, things like uh, Sonship theology, ascension. It'll we could lots good. of great stuff. Yep, we might even dare to tread and talk about Christian nationalism because Ooh. no no one else is talking about it.
1: Well, it's- that's. That, that's cutting-edge type stuff there. We it's, might be ahead of the curve.
0: We are going to weigh in because we need to weigh in on some of that there stuff.
1: Oh, man.
0: But remember, folks, give us five stars because it makes us feel good. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean one. Uh, I mean in school, one star, the the old fashioned kind you'd lick. I I had a teacher maybe in oh, kindergarten. Oh, those gold star things. Yeah, and you put your tongue out. Yeah. She didn't. Oh. Put, she didn't want to put her <laughs> saliva on you, so you put your tongue out. Never mind the fact she would then you know touch, touch your, your saliva. <laughs> so one stars are good for kindergarteners, yep. but um, we want five stars. Yeah, all five because we like all five stars. And uh, if you write a nice review, it makes us feel good, but it also Helps encourage other people to listen to the Pactum. So tell other people about the Pactum. We always like that. In all sincerity,
1: the whole five-star thing is they they tell us, whoever they is, they tell us that it helps other people find your podcast. There it is. So we're
0: following. Do this for us. It'll make us... And we're recording this on Giving Tuesday. It is. It's Giving Tuesday All we're asking is that you give us five five stars and a really good review. We're not going to ask for money
1: or any of that kind of stuff. We're not. No. We're just here for... Your (laughs) benefits.
0: We're so philanthropic.
1: We are. We are. All right. Well, we've got several questions (laughs) as we have several (laughs) listeners who have sent in these questions to us. So we're going to fire through these and uh, several hundred thousand, several hundred thousand questions. All right. This first question comes from Coral. Cool name. Yep. She's been listening to the book of Acts that you've been preaching through at Omaha Bible Church. And she said she's wondering what's so different or what's so great and exciting about Christ ruling and reigning after his ascension versus before. She said she thought that God has been sovereignly reigning from all eternity.
0: Indeed, he has been sovereignly reigning from all eternity. So good job on that. Right. He's always been the king. He always will be the king. He always will be sovereign. He always has been sovereign. Perfect. Glad you asked this important question, and it relates to what's called the session of Christ. Hmm. So if you want to look, if you want to think about the older verbiage, because sometimes that's fun, uh, the, the reign of Christ, he ascended and he's in his session. He's hmm. ruling. Right. And what we need to remember in answering this question is we we are now talking about the one who is the Christ, the king, the Messiah, who is the God man. Hmm. So I no. think that might clear, th- clear some things up for you, Coral, As as far as he has always reigned. But now the Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecy, the one who is none other than the last Adam, he is the God man. And so that's unique. That's different. And if you look at the Westminster Confession, it has a great statement about this. And it says this, Christ is exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God in that as God-man, there you go, Mm -hmm. he is advanced to the highest favor with God the Father, with all fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things in heaven and earth. And I really like this part as well, as far as application is concerned and for our own hearts. And doth gather, doth, doth,
1: right,
0: was- <laughs> doth Vader, doth, doth gather, <laughs> <It> wasn't funny, <laughs> doth gather and defend his church and subdue their enemies. So he's now for his church and he's against her enemies and also furnishes his ministers. So church, again, his ministers mm-hmm. and people yeah. with gifts and graces and makes intercession for them. Hmm. So there's a lot going on there as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the God-man, as the last Adam Uh, in his session. uh, One person put it this way, Christ's three offices converge in his session, Mm. and those three offices would be prophet, priest, and King yeah so yeah. that 's exciting, I think maybe another way to look at it to see the difference has to do with his uh, messianic kingdom, his eternal kingdom being inaugurated sure um, he is he has ascended to the throne, he is seated, he is ruling and reigning uh, we are waiting awaiting uh, the consummation. But here's a real cool thing to think about, and we emphasize this a lot on the Pactum and always will, as long as there is a Pactum podcast.
1: That's right. (laughs) As
0: long as there is one, we will emphasize this. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if you're a new creature, if you're in Christ, excuse me, you are a new creation. And that's... Uh, That's um, kingdom talk, new creation, kingdom talk. You are a new creature in Christ. You are a part of the new creation. You are a part of the eternal kingdom, and that's an already reality. So he's ruling and reigning now, and he is your king now. You are a citizen of his coming kingdom now. He claims you as his own now, as he is seated ruling and reigning now. I won't keep saying now. (laughs) But it's really it's really grand and wonderful. We're just waiting for him to return, yeah. for the kingdom to be consummated. But you are now a part of that kingdom. Yes. Yep. One good resource on this uh, I found pretty easily. It's called "How Is Christ Exalted in His Session, Intercession, and Judgment," and it's from a table talk a table talk article. Hmm. We'll link to it in the show notes, and it'll allow you to learn more about Christ in His. Session. Session. Awesome.
1: All right. The next question comes to us from Melissa. And Melissa's asking about sonship theology. Uh, she wanted to know our thoughts on sonship theology. Uh, she says that it was started by a Presbyterian pastor, C. John Miller. Yep. Goes by Jack Miller. Yep. Jack Miller. And now is called Surge Ministry. And so okay. she's curious, what are your thoughts? I
0: think if this is, this might be Melissa, long time listener. So thank you for still listening and asking yeah. us good questions. And I'm going to start right off the bat by saying, uh, I'm going to direct you to a resource that we will also link in the show notes. Uh, it was recommended to me by someone who's closer and who's been involved in the history of these things uh, for much longer than I've been around in Christianity. So check it out. It is uh, from Banner of Truth. And, uh, it's an article from December 1, 2000, dealing with the sonship movement. Hmm. And, uh, the red, there are some red flags. And so some of those red flags have to do with the fact that, uh, the sonship theology movement, even though it's, it's, Nestled, that's not a very <laughs> even though it's within the Presbyterian world, right. Because of uh, who its founder is, it's very Wesleyan, it's very mm. Keswick in its approach to doctrines relating to sanctification mm. with its emphasis on revival. And it's, and remember, think in these terms Wesleyan, Keswick, uh, that's more like, um, you know, the Wesleys, that's, that's not sure. reformed. Uh, that's not a reform perspective at all, even though it's coming from within Presbyterianism. Uh, it's, it's a red flag, hmm. basically. So um, Sonship stresses, and here's a quotation uh, from it, "...ongoing revival in the life of the believer, empowering one to obey the command to love God and love others." in a radical Jesus kind of way that mm-hmm. amazes the lost and draws them to Jesus. That's from Sonship Ministries. Mm. So red flag, the, the radical kind of thing is is a bit of an oddity, even though we like to be radical, man. Right. Totally <laughs> rad. I grew up as a BMX racer. And it's all about being radical. Yeah. So revival is a bit of a red flag. Yeah. Um, the radical thing is a bit of a red flag. It ends up being a, a, a swing away from Ordinary means hmm. ministry. So, the sure. ordinary means of grace, uh, the emphasis is more so not so, no, not so much on the, the preaching of the word of God, the right administration of the sacraments, um, those kinds of things. It's more on small group kind of prayer meetings, the conferences, sure. their courses, private devotions. So, it's not ordinary means, it's special means. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, we think that that, that is problematic. It's, it's, it's not ordinary. Hmm, That's yeah, extraordinary. Right. So a good resource on this we've recommended before is that book called Ordinary by Michael Horton. Uh, that might help you. We also did at least one episode on ordinary means. Yeah. I think, we yep, would direct you there. And so probably well-meaning, um, but probably not really what you want to be looking for as far as the tried and true classic, keep it in the right lane of classic reformed. Confessionalism, So sure. we're going to say probably not the greatest. Also, I think Jay Adams wrote something critiquing it years ago, but that's not something I've read. Hmm. We'll send you to that Banner of Truth article, and I think you will find it to be helpful. Also, remember, when it comes to these extraordinary means, you easily drift into the land of legalism because hmm. these are not things – prescribed by God in the Bible, and yet when we tell people they have to do these things and then they can achieve this higher level of sanctification, kind of slam dunk, uh, everything's going to go right for you when the Bible doesn't promise it that way, um, it it can drift into legalism because now here's how you have to do it, even though the Bible doesn't say that. Hmm. Um, So be, be cautious is what we would say
1: about that. All right. All right, we have another question. This one, this one's going to get a little bit deep. A little Ooh. bit deep and heavy, right? A deep and heavy here. It's really heavy, it's man. Re- <laughs> All right, this one uh, comes to us from Evan. And Evan's asking... Uh, well, I'll just read some of this so we can work get, our way We'll get a flavor it. for it? Get a flavor okay, but I do for want to notice
0: that, that Evan tries to butter us up from the yes, beginning. He, he says, Dear Pactum Divines. Dear Pactum Divines, yes. <laughs>
1: so. And uh, he's asking for our help here on this issue. Uh, we're talking about here this question. He's talking about uh, saving faith. And we talked about this in our Sola Fide episode, uh, knowledge, assent, and trust, if you remember that um, from that episode. So he's talking about those good pieces yep. of saving faith. Uh, and he's saying, well, some theologians include affections or emotions oh. um, in part of that, yep. the assent uh, part of the faith. And he's saying, you know, Burkhoff, maybe. Has an emotional element in his systematic theology. Um, Horton saying that in his Christian faith, um, and Sproul even saying that in uh, part of his "everyone's a theologian." Okay, so he's trying to find out this question of is there emotions and affections in I, part of I our think Evan is faith. struggling. I yes. think
0: Evan Evan needs to come to Omaha and get on the Packham sofa. There we go for a little bit of help when it right. comes to all of
1: this. So. The question really is, I mean, is there some kind of inclusion of affections and emotion and your love in your response in saving faith?
0: Yeah. Good job for doing some pretty serious research and trying to grapple with these things. I noticed in your question that you say it's not in the Heidelberg or the 1689, which you subscribe to. Yeah. So I'm glad you uh, have tried to think through the issues. Maybe one thing I'll begin by saying, sometimes when we read respected authors— Um, sometimes they, they might mean something, especially when they're older, they might mean something slightly different than what it sounds like. I know I've made that mistake before, Evan. I'm not saying you're making that mistake, but sometimes when I've read older authors, they use certain verbiage, certain language in a way that gives me kind of the, Red flag kind of heebie-jeebies. Right. Yeah. But, um, but then the more I understand, I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what? I think they actually mean something slightly different. Yeah. And so I don't think there's really a problem. So there is that. And other times we just have to say, you know, I love this author. And I love so much of what they say. I wish they wouldn't have said that the way they said it. Sure. Yeah. Because it seems like they're putting love as part of the definition of faith, as opposed to something like resting, receiving. Right. Yeah. You know, leaning on kind of thing, trusting. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it's good to be discerning. No one is perfect other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so good job for being discerning. As far as help from us, I think you're on the right track. Uh, that we need to be really careful not to make faith somehow this um, something like love, which is obeying God's law. So Mm, uh, somehow that that the faith itself is somehow virtue or virtuous, because then all of a sudden we are not very Protestant and we're not very biblical. I think you're going to be encouraged by this quotation from. Machen, Machen. Jay Gresson yeah. Gress Machen, and it is in his little book called What is Faith? And here's what Machen says. It's deluxe. The reason why faith is given such an exclusive place in the New Testament, so far as the attainment of salvation is concerned, over and against, get this, over and against love, and over and against any el- anything else in man, except things that can be regarded as mere aspects of faith, is that faith means receiving something, not doing something or even being something to say, therefore, that our faith saves us means that we do not save ourselves even in the slightest measure, but that God saves us. How about this? Very, and Machen didn't say that. How about this? Very different would be the case if our salvation were said to be through love, for then salvation would depend upon a High quality of our own, and that is what the New Testament, above all else, is concerned to deny. Mm, That is
1: fantastic.
0: Yep, really, really good uh great little book uh t- timeless in one sense so we w- we would say yeah let's not put love in there and be cautious about somehow putting positive affections in there at least cautious yeah. like okay what if we mean by meritorious or virtuous in any way shape or form uh we probably want to stay away from that right yeah if we mean something different well maybe maybe that's a little different right you Probably are aware that there was a bit of a controversy brewing here not too long ago because John Piper wrote a book regarding faith. Yep, yep. And what is uh, what's what is saving faith or something like that? And uh, there was some good critique uh, by Pactum verse mem- member yeah. uh, Harrison Perkins. Yep, yep. Uh, we like Harrison and things that he's written. So shout out to you. He is a not a card-carrying member, but a, a t-shirt-wearing uh, yeah, member yeah, yep. of the Pactum. Pactum gear-wearing That's them. right. <laughs> so um, so anyway, he wrote an article. We'll link to it. It's, uh, was it was at the Gospel Coalition. It was a review of that uh Book, and I think Piper might have even responded to it. Yeah. And then it looked kind of interesting. I don't know this for sure, but based upon pictures posted, I think there was a, a discussion about this at the most recent Evangelical Theological Society that was in Colorado. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I saw um, J.V. Fesco uh, at the lectern and I saw John Piper watching him. And I think I connected the dots hearing people talk that they were discussing this very matter. Hmm. And so I'm looking forward to those um, lectures coming uh, available to us because – it's worth debating. Sure. Uh, yeah. This, this whole issue because what exactly is faith? What is saving faith? What is sola fide? And, and what is it not? Yeah. So, and yeah. there's a lot of confusion because of people like Jonathan Edwards. Yep. Because yep. while he may be your homeboy, um, <laughs> he didn't exactly have reformed orthodoxy figured out.
1: Right. Yeah. Yep. So, how about that? I think that's fantastic. Well, well done. Let's, issue solved. Let's, Stamp.
0: Let's do this. How about a question from
1: Evan? I, I, you know, I'm sitting here wondering, is this the same Evan? I don't have uh, in front of me the original correspondence. I think, to, I correspondence. think you
0: could ask only one question at a time. I don't know. We, let's, know. let's just roll with
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this question is about the Sabbath. Uh, on episode 66, um, he had asked about the threefold division of God's law. And amen to that. So we answered his question on episode The way he 16, wanted 16. us to yes. answer it. Well, so and, you know, we that's succeeded. what we try to do. We yeah. just
0: try to be people pleasers.
1: Yes. So his next question is related to the Sabbath as a part of the moral law. Uh, he wants to know if we agree with the traditional Reformed view of the moral part of the Sabbath as one day in seven and the positive part of the Sabbath as the day in which it is observed. Okay. So like the old, the seventh, or the new, the first. Okay. Making sense, All right. And if so, would you agree with the Westminster definition of its obligation? Okay. Hoy. All right. Hoy.
0: <laughs> well, how do you think he wants us to answer? Because we I don't should know. We want to make sure to he answer to... this
1: correctly. <laughs> Let us know, Evan, if we succeed again. <laughs> oh, I would. Have,
0: I would affirm the confession. I would. Have, I would affirm the the requirement for keeping the Sabbath, uh, as far as. Uh, So the simple answer is I wouldn't take exception. I would say yes. Uh, Corporate work and and maybe to unpack it a little bit for everybody else uh, and bring it into at least the way I think. Corporate worship is not optional. Corporate worship is um, mandatory. It's the first day of the week because of the resurrection. So that's where, where we would See things. Right. Um, also, not not only corporate worship, private worship as well. So it's not like uh, it's optional for me. I order my day around corporate worship as well as private worship. So just speaking for myself, I don't know what Mike does yep. uh, in in his off hours, <laughs> but I usually see him here every Sunday. I do that. Yeah. So, uh, and it's not like, oh yeah, take it or leave it. We don't, we don't have to have it. We actually think we do. Right. Um, we, we actually try to be really careful to not mandate other things, other days uh, that are not biblically mandated, but we think the church gathers for corporate worship And we also spend time in in private worship. So there's that. With that said, and maybe some would say, well, now you are taking an exception. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm just going to be honest, I would say I am a Sabbatarian. Maybe I would say lowercase s. Lowercase (laughs) s. So, because I know, well, people practice things differently. Sure, yeah, what that is. I will exercise um, more than just my... um, Feeding myself. <laughs> you know, in cycling, they say, you know, you'll, you'd get faster if you did more fork downs. Ooh. So. <laughs> I was trying to think about how to set that up. I do fork-ups, I yeah. guess.
1: Oh, I do a lot of fork-ups. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> so, but you know what? I'll exercise on, on Sunday uh, once I've done my other things. Uh, I, I would certainly exercise. It's it's restful for me personally. I know other Christians who might not want to do that. Sure. That's fine as far as I'm concerned. I'll watch a movie with my wife. Um, I might know other Christians who wouldn't want to do that. Sure. And I wouldn't want you to watch a movie with my wife, but it's something that I do. <laughs> Uh, I don't forbid my kids from playing sports, but they might be um, here on a Sunday morning in their, you know, uniform. (laughs) Yep. And that's where it gets a little bit more sticky and controversial for some Christians. Sure. um, We we are going to worship together, but we might also do some other things. Sure. Personally, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish our uh, modern American culture wasn't really the way it is, but it is. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate the writings of Meredith Klein when it comes to the Sabbath. I know now I'm getting into controversial areas with Reformed folk. Yep, yep. But I do like it that um, I, I think I, – I appreciate what Klein is saying. Uh, maybe he's coloring outside of the lines. But some of the observations that he makes as far as uh, the Sabbath is given to Adam as part of the covenant of works and fulfilled by Christ – I think it, it he did meet that, meet that obligation, but we have rest um, in Christ, ultimately. I think that it wasn't given to the nations by the prophets and condemning them for their sins. That's kind of Kleinian. Now we're probably into the weeds, um, sure. yeah. talking about things that we're not really asked about, but I, I think it's at least worth thinking about what Klein has said about these things, yeah. like in Kingdom
1: Prologue. I think so, yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, as you're talking about corporate worship here. And, you were thinking
0: about Shabbat.
1: <laughs> as we're thinking about uh, the gathering of the body. You know, I saw the most fascinating video the other day on my phone. It came up, popped up. You know, how you know once all these, you might be interested in this kind of y- things you weren't, pop up you weren't on looking Instagram. On your,
0: you weren't looking at Instagram on Sunday, though, were you?
1: I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I may have. I know this was a Monday. Okay. So okay. Uh, as I'm looking through, all of a sudden it shows me. This rehearsal for a Christmas program at a church. And I, so, I have so never far, in my so life, good. Okay, I've never Maybe. in my life seen anything like this. It's one of those big, massive sanctuary auditorium things. Almost looks like my kids said, Where is is that a church? There's no way that's a church just because how big it is. They've never seen anything like that. But there are these guys flying through the air. Like it at first, I thought it was like some kind of trapeze thing, but they're coming up over the seats for the congregation they're flying, they have all these harnesses on, and you know what they were doing? They were playing their drums because they were the drummers drumming for the christmas presentation Whoa, It's like vegas I'm not even kidding, and there's all these flashing lights on the stage it's i so I'm thinking about checking to see if our uh auditorium can handle that kind of harnessing. Oh, I wonder if I could fly. And we fly. could really fly you Flying over top. high you know? again.
0: We could play an Ozzy Osbourne song. Well, we probably wouldn't, we do, wouldn't that want to do that in church.
1: But I don't know if that would be a violation of the Sabbath to have our <laughs> drummers <laughs> flown over the seats. If, now you just
0: got us into more trouble because you said our way. drummers. We do it. We well. Yeah. Uh, If
1: hypothetically, if hypothetically we had drummers
0: drummers, and if (laughs) hypothetically God were at one time in history pleased with drumming (laughs) and uh, clanging Clanging symbols loud crashing. uh, We we went orderly symbols, not clanging
1: symbols. Yes. Okay. (laughs) We'll move on to the next question. The next question comes to us from Matt. Uh, and he let us know that he loves the podcast. Thank you, Matt. That makes us feel good about ourselves. We appreciate that. Five stars. (laughs) Here comes the uh, Shriner question. He says that we've mentioned that you uh, should shy away from Shriner. He's read his book Faith Alone, and so he's familiar uh, with what some of the issues are, and to an extent he agrees, but he's read that as, quote, works are necessary but not meritorious. Uh, He sees nothing wrong with that statement. So faith necessarily produces good works, yet they don't earn anything. And he says when Shriner says, quote, necessary, is that the context he means?
0: Sometimes we're just going to have to retire this and just, we just say, you know what? It's not. We're not <laughs> going to talk about Shriner anymore unless yeah. unless the Shrine Circus is in town.
1: <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> I don't
0: know if that's still a thing or not. Uh, I don't know that it is. We would always go. Yeah. We always got tickets well, circus from... Is fun. My mom always knew somebody who was a Shriner. So, okay. Well, so, you know... Thankfully, he affirms sola fide. So that's good. And there's all kinds of workarounds. The problem ends up being that it's, it's as clear as mud um, yeah. what, what he's saying. And he says things that are just not helpful at best. Right. And so in his Romans commentary, he, he talks about Romans 2, uh, 7, and he talks about those who seek eternal life by consistently persevering in a good work. And I think every Pactum listener would say that's a red flag. Yeah. I think every Protestant would say that's a red flag. To seek eternal life by consistently Consistent, yeah. persevering in a good work, uh, That that's, that's problematic at best. Maybe he doesn't mean what he says by uh, – it's just—it's frustrating because everybody wants to give him a free pass, and I don't think he should get a free pass elsewhere. I want to present the evidence that justification or salvation is according to works. Um, That—that's not helpful hmm. either, uh, unless you're talking about it's according to the works of Christ. Then when he deals with Romans two thirteen, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's majorly majorly problematic. When he says, we are not surprised then to find Paul saying in Romans 2.13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. I agree with that part. Remarkably enough, Paul says that those who obey the law will be justified before God on the last day. So they're the ones who enter the kingdom, he says in the same document. Hmm. Confusing at best, not helpful. How about justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone, plus or minus nothing. And uh, stop playing these silly word games. Romans 2.13 is talking about principles. It's talking about this is what God requires and no one meets the obligation except Christ um it's it's pretty straightforward so i i i sound agitated i don't mean to sound <laughs> agitated certainly with your question right but i think we've got to be clear in understanding justification better and the nature of faith better it doesn't help in the forward to the book on sola fide that Shriner writes that piper writing the forward hmm. who classically denies the covenant of works so this makes sense but piper says um he, referring to Shriner, says, write with God by faith alone, not attain heaven by faith alone. Hmm. So that's about as clear as mud. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you can't get to heaven by faith alone. Uh, and I'm going to say, oh, yes, you can. Right. And yeah. that's why the Bible speaks in terms of justification, um, giving us peace with God. We have no condemnation now. That's talking about judgment day, but it's a present reality. Right. Romans chapter 8 and I guess we could go on and on. I've got all kinds of papers in front of me from all. I, I just keep having to pull these out.
1: You got your little Shriner shelf, right? <laughs> the Shriner I'm sure files. He's a
0: gentleman. I just spoke. I have a friend who studied under him, and uh, he would say, that's right. The, Romans, the Roman stuff is problematic. It's not clear. It's also in his Theology of Paul book. Hmm. Uh, same kinds of issues. So it's not the way Protestants talk. It's not the way we have talked. It's not the way we should talk. So, God requires absolute perfection. There's only one who meets that obligation, and that is Christ the Lord. And we have assurance, um, not that can be lost. We have assurance now, and we can always have assurance. And it's true, there is fruit that comes as a result, and uh, we're glad for the fruit. It's one of the ways that we have evidence. But even before there's any fruit, we are guaranteed, you heard it here today on the Pactum, right, yep. you are guaranteed, as sure as Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead too. In fact, the Bible speaks in terms of you've already been raised unto newness of life. Hmm. Guaranteed, no matter what, absolutely. And you go, You know that one quote from Calvin that we've mentioned many times probably on the Pactum, um, Many times, probably. I've mentioned it many times in life. I don't remember what I've said on the pactum and what I haven't said. But Calvin talks about if if you can't figure out Romans chapter two, then you should be laughed at hmm. even by children because hmm. it's pretty straightforward. So. There is that. We probably should move on to the next one. If you love Tom Schreiner, that's good. I love him too. I love enough to disagree with what he's written. And um, I love other Christians enough to say I wouldn't recommend his stuff. Uh, If you need something good on Romans, uh, read something like Charles Hodge, who's going to be clear on Romans chapter 2, and you're probably going to be much better off.
1: Yeah, good. All right, this next question is a question about baptism. And this one comes to us from Isaac. Isaac. And Isaac says in Acts 1-5... Hey, Isaac. In Acts 1-5, it talks about being baptized, not by water, but by the Holy Spirit. Later, Acts two thirty eight says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Could baptized in chapter 2 be referring to being baptized in the Spirit and not by water? Is that a correct interpretation? Why or why not?
0: Okay. Thanks, Isaac. Appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of the the verse. The verse. For, pretty soon we're verse. just going to say the, the verse. verse. We, we like it that you're part as of the As long as there's the no verse. multiverse, you know? Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so it is a fair question, and uh, I'm going to respond. Maybe we should look at Acts 238 for yeah. everyone who's driving mm-hmm. down the road. Yeah, Acts 238. Think. So it says what? Acts two thirty
1: eight says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay. So could it possibly be that that's not talking about water baptism? It's talking about spirit baptism when it says baptized. That is the question that we have from Isaac. And I'm going to respond and say, first of all, uh, it is a command. So mm-hmm. it's probably not spirit baptism. And the first thing that tells me that is it's an imperative. So uh, where it says, uh, repent and be baptized, be baptized is in, isn't an an imperative, hard to say. (laughs) So it's a command and it seems odd. It is odd to be commanded to be baptized by the spirit. Yeah. Because right. you just be like, oh, how do I do that? Yeah. And there is no how do I do that in the Bible because even in John chapter 3, when it comes to the work of the Spirit right. and regeneration, right. it happens and you see evidence. Evidence, yeah. But you, there is no how to be born again. Sorry, right. Billy Graham, who wrote a book <laughs> called that. But now I digress. <laughs> so it's an imperative. So I can obey an imperative to be baptized and to repent, but I can't obey an imperative to be Spirit baptized. Sure, yeah. So there is that—that kind of—that's a deal breaker for me. Actually, Mm -hmm. I like where you are going, though, because you are trying to protect salvation by grace alone, and you are trying to avoid baptismal regeneration, which is Acts two thirty eight. People think that's what it teaches, and they love it. So you are you are trying to really protect it. I like your style. Good Mm -hmm, job. mm -hmm. But also, in addition, I would say the most natural way to think of baptism is to think of water, Mm. and so since it means to immerse. <laughs> since, <laughs> sorry, I had to clear my throat yeah, there you got for a <laughs> Yeah, since it does mean that it, it's a it's a water concept. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. it is true there is spirit baptism, but I think spirit baptism is borrowing for, from the water picture, picture or the yeah. water metaphor, yeah, sure. or the water concept, and so and and it's it is associated with water, like in Acts chapter eight. Water is mentioned specifically, yep. Acts chapter 10, water is mentioned specifically. So I think the burden of proof is there. We, we have to say, you know, it's probably water baptism, uh, but that doesn't mean it's, it's um, baptismal regeneration. Uh, in fact, even one New Testament scholar, many actually would, but one I have right in front of me here says it should proper, properly or fittingly be trans, translated uh, by saying with a view to or with a view toward hmm. um, Repent and be baptized with a view toward uh, the forgiveness of sins. Hmm. So that's yeah. that's the concept. There's no way on God's green earth that it's teaching baptismal regeneration right. yeah. because yeah. there's too much uh, data elsewhere hmm. to support that point. So look at all of the baptism and Acts texts, as well as other texts in the Bible, as well as the book of Acts, what it teaches about new life, being uh, saved and things like that, and you'll you'll be sane about the whole thing. So great. I hope that helps. I like your question.
1: All right, next question. We've got a handful left. Maybe I don't, I should stop saying that kind of stuff because I didn't really count. Okay. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. The next one comes to us from Parker, and Parker is asking: Is it right for a preacher when making a call to the gospel to unbelievers to say quote Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, and you will be saved. Or, quote, If you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Is this adding works or the law to say that? Is it, you know, turn from your sin? Is that adding works in the law?
0: Oh, I think it's going to depend on if I'm in a bad mood or not.
1: (laughs) Depends on what you ate for breakfast. (laughs) Because if I'm
0: in a good mood, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) Right. If I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to be more scrutinizing. Sure. I'm I'm just trying to be lighthearted here. But, uh if you mean by cleaning up if they mean clean up your life turn from your sins stop right. sinning uh somehow it's preparatory sure uh, preparationism yeah. sounds like a, a foul ointment yeah preparationism. so <laughs> then, then that's that's wrong now maybe you know they're sincere about it but that that's we don't believe in theological preparationism mm-hmm. as far as clean up your life stop sinning now you're ready and now all of a sudden god right. can accept you yes yeah it's, Remember Romans chapter 4, that God justifies, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. No, that's Romans. That's Romans 5. So that's Romans 5. Romans, Romans four. 4. He justifies, justifies the ungodly. The ungodly. <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go. It. So I think that's a good litmus. He justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify those who have already turned from their sins right. and are less godly now yes, yeah. or are somehow now godly. He justifies the ungodly. Always go back to that. I would rather say repent and uh, leave it at that, or I'd rather say believe in Jesus. I'd rather say repent and believe. I'd rather say believe and repent. Um, It is true. We turn from our sins. It is true that that that, that happens and it needs to happen, but it can't be in the preparation category or all of a sudden now it's a different gospel and it's not the gospel. Right. Yeah. So while, while first Thessalonians one, nine does say uh, that people turn to God from idols to serve the living God that Mm -hmm. see. So there it is. It's it's a reality and it's, it needs to happen. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's somehow um, to be preparation. Yeah. Yep. So I would commend to you the book, Christ, the Lord by Michael Horton, Would be a helpful read to you. And I like it from the sounds of your question that you are being discerning. And I hope it helps you to be more faithful in presenting the gospel. Sure, yeah. And Mm -hmm. preaching the gospel as you have opportunity. I think a lot of well-meaning preachers uh, get confused about this. And uh, if you are a preacher, let's be well-meaning, but let's not be confused. Yeah. God justifies the ungodly, ungodly, so don't in effect be telling people to become godly, and then God will justify them. Right? Yeah. Let's get them justified, and then <laughs> right. Let, God has to do it, yeah, right? But say. you understand what I mean? Yes. Let's let's have God justify them by faith, and only by faith, and then we're going to see them uh, wanting to do right things and and needing to do right things, quite honestly. Right?
1: Yeah. Okay. All, all right. Next question on the docket. Politics, get ready. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Yeah, geared up.
0: Okay, we're going to keep it simple.
1: What are your thoughts on Christian nationalism?
0: This question comes from Don. Don. Okay.
1: <laughs> Thanks for your question, Don. The Donald. The Donald.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry if you're offended by that. <laughs> it's been a long day, and you know we're we're just kind of sleep deprived. <laughs> okay, in all serious seriousness, Don, old. <laughs> <laughs> <I can't. laughs> So, Mike, okay. you realize some people listen to this just, just for my to hear laugh. you laugh. I know. I've
1: heard. Uh-huh. I do my best. You know, there are some episodes I'm like, I got to find something to laugh at because it's pretty hard because <laughs> Pat's not very funny. Okay,
0: so okay, all right, Don. Christian nationalism. We could do a whole episode on this. Uh, it seems like everyone else is writing articles about it. Yeah, and fittingly so. So. Sure. Let's begin by saying, and we'll give you some extra resources here in a bit, but let's start by saying, and I think this is actually really important, that verbiage uh, can be problematic. Oh, yeah. Yep. So it's sort of like biblicism. Yep. There, there, biblicism as a label has a history, and it's used in certain ways, for example, like in academic writings. Sure. Uh and, and so when people don't know that or they haven't thought about how it's used and then they just say, well, yeah, biblicism is good. Hmm. And then all of a sudden things become very confusing. And, and that actually that labels become really confusing here recently because people are, you know, readopting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so nationalism Uh, Or Christian nationalism can be the same because if I have not read anything and someone just says, what do you think of Christian nationalism? I can think, well, okay, here's what I think it means. Yep, right. And so here's how I think it could be good. Sure. Or even with nationalism. If you're not aware that that label is used in certain ways in academic circles, in published writings, you're going to say, well, I think nationalism is good because I love my nation and I'm patriotic. And now we're just creating more confusion. And I think we're, we're further dividing the body of Christ. And mm. I think that's happened recently with the popular book published by Canon Press on Christian nationalism and all kinds of probably, probably well-meaning. I don't know. It's like, it's just creating confusion. So let's, mm. let's think of these, let's think of a few salient points. Okay. Oftentimes it's tied to religion. In fact, most of the time it's tied to religion. Okay. Yep. So, well, for sure, if it's Christian nationalism, sure, but yeah. even just nationalism, National, yeah. nationalism is oftentimes in, in writing, published writing is referring to something that has a spec- specific or specified religion. And I, w- I would find that problematic. If nationalism has to have a religion for it to be nationalism, uh, yeah. I find that problematic because, uh, so whose religion is it going to be? Right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be my religion. And now by mandate, All other religions are illegal, and now by mandate, we we have to execute those who disagree with us. Right, yeah. And I know some people are into that sort of thing, but I'm not into theonomy. No. And I think it's unbiblical. See (laughs) the episode on that. Because we're not Israel. We are not a theocracy living in the land of Israel um, at a unique time and place that's come and gone, and it's found fulfillment as a type and a shadow. Yeah. So we, these are this, this is serious and, and important to think about. So if it's tied to a specific religion, which our country is not tied to a specific religion, our country at its best is, and I mean this in a classic sense, liberal. Hmm. There, yeah. There's liberty. Yeah, there is liberty, freedom. Yeah. And so we we need to keep that in mind. Um, I'm not a liberal. Please don't misunderstand. I'm very very conservative conservative as a Christian. Um, but there there is no more Christian nation. Hmm. In particular, specific as in the nation of Israel, as in we're going to kill heretics and we have to have one mandated religion. Right. So let's keep that in mind. Another thing that's important to keep in mind is uh, oftentimes when you're talking about nationalism, you're talking about a certain kind of person who belongs and all other kinds of persons don't belong. It's about, I hate to use the word, it's about race in Mm -hmm. the modern sense of the term. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's only one race. It's the human race. Um, But you start talking about the color of people's skin and where they're, what they look like, um, their origin, if you will, uh, where their ancestors came from, and I'm totally against that. That that just is a form of racism. Yeah, and in Christianity and in Christ, especially, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Um, and, and plus, even as a nation, I, I there's no reason why I would say certain people who look a certain way belong and other people don't belong. I don't think that that's good. A good way for me to think as a Christian. No, yeah. I think I'm against all kinds of racism. And we're seeing Christian nationalism promoting racism even before our very eyes with all kinds of qualifiers. And yet it it somehow is what it is. And it's ugly and it's yeah. wrong. Uh, it's un-American. It's un-Christian. So I love my nation. Um, I'm a citizen of the United States. I love my nation. And you can love your nation even if you live in a different nation but i think it's probably better and some are suggesting it would be better who are writing on this topic to say then use something like patriotic hmm. yeah so i am yeah. very very patriotic, patriotic yeah. and i have opinions about you know how we should do immigration and how we shouldn't do immigration and those kinds of sure, things yeah. i think our country at certain times in the past has done a better job of these kinds of things and thinking through the issues than it's doing now not that it's been perfect sure yeah so Christian nationalism, no, I would even say nationalism I don't i don't I don't think so um and again, maybe you would say you're for it, and i'm saying I would say I'm against it, and we could agree on ninety nine point nine percent of things, but I'm at least trying to pay attention to how the label's been used right. before, sure. And it's probably not the the label you want to be using, yep. even though some of our evangelical celebrities have been using it recently. I think they're doing, I think they're, they're driving outside of their lane Yeah. Mm-hmm. and maybe they're expert in other things, but they're not expert in this. Speaking of an expert. Sure. Yeah. If you really want to dig in and you really want to understand some of the issues and do the work, which I right. think sadly, uh, a lot of people don't want to, um, they just, they, they don't want to, but I know lots of packed them verse members do
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Okay. if we want to be mature about this pick up a book called politics after christendom um and that would be written by david van drunen yep and it will not be the easiest thing you've ever read but it will help you to think through the issues and to think through national israel and the theocracy and um Never to be replicated and right. those kinds of things. Right. So maybe a couple of good quotations from Van want And you want to share those with our audience sure. yeah. because
1: we like to share? Yes, we love sharing. The first one, contemporary political communities emerge out of the Noahic covenant, not the Mosaic covenant, is crucial for a sound political theology. So understanding that is hugely important. And
0: that right there is something that I think lots of Christians do they'd never even thought about before. Sure, so yeah. what does it look like? What what covenant are you ordering yourself under when you're trying to create a... a, a, a
1: political a, community, a, right? Yes. And so, you know, and the Noahic being that common for all people, yep. Christian or non-Christian. Yep, good, yeah. good. Yep. Okay. And
0: Mosaic is going to be Israel-specific. Right. We tend to get that exactly... Opposite and yep. backward, and we have all kinds of trouble.
1: Yep. Next uh, quotation from Politics After Christendom Political communities are not the kind of community meant to be united by the sacred or by religious faith. And Christianity is not the kind of religion meant to unite a nation. That's controversial. That's, That's
0: super controversial. Yeah. And, and I find that most people who would disagree with that at first. It's what they come up with is only theoretical and it would never work. Sure. Sure. So we we want something that is biblical based mm-hmm. biblical and it works theoretically and it can actually work. Yeah, sure. And I think, um, DVD, Dave Andrew yep. offers us some really good insight.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Also
0: I would, uh, I just yesterday, I don't know if you read it or not, Mike, it just came out. Um, but there is an, there was a helpful article by david or sorry david by kevin deyoung uh-huh, yep. um, and it was critiquing that popular canon press book on christian nationalism yep. by wolf and i think deyoung uh, has a level head on his sh- shoulders <laughs> i think he has a level head on his shoulders and did a good job of that so yeah uh, check that out if you would yep we'll link to you it might in the show notes find it for sure. Yeah.
1: okay all right our last question comes to us from ray and ray is asking if we have read the article the final judgment by Greg Beal uh, on an episode of not an episode, excuse me, on a <laughs> an <laughs> issue of Table Talk magazine. Yes, uh, and he says he feels like the topic's right up our alley. Sounds a lot like Piper's final salvation through good works teaching. And he's saying Beale's point is that our good works will prove at the final just judgment that we were justified by Christ's blood. Would love to hear you guys respond to the article, if possible.
0: Thank you, Ray. Thanks for being a part of the verse, the verse, the, the Pactum verse.
1: verse. I don't think I'm used to that.
0: We appreciate we appreciate lots of Beal's work. Yeah, uh, his stuff on Temple is really outstanding. Sure. And yeah. So there is that, uh, but we don't appreciate his work here so much. Mm. So we like table talk a lot. We like Beal on the Temple a lot. Um, Personally speaking, not so much here. I think he. I think it's a bad take on Romans two thirteen. Again, mm-hmm. it comes back to this issue, like with Schreiner yeah. and with Piper. Um, Romans two thirteen: For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Yep. And I think he he's having to try to fit that into his theology and it's troublesome uh, because he doesn't just allow it to say what it says, right? Let's just allow it to just be the gauntlet and say what it says so that we say, woe is me for I'm undone. There's nothing I can do to meet that obligation. And so therefore I need alien righteousness. I yeah. need a substitute. And that seems to be the flow of Paul's argument in Romans 1, 2, and 3, because he says in 3.10, none righteous, no, not one. And then we have to look to the righteousness that God provides in Christ. So I think theologically Beal believes that. And hmm. so I'm grateful for that. I think Beal is far more uh, level-headed than the others we've talked about. When it comes to this, and so he's going to say, "Well, so maybe we should translate it not as justified, but as vindicated, because you'll be vindicated last day by your works." I, that's all fine and good. That it that is true. I could live with that. Um, yeah, all, all of that to say, I I just think there's a, there's a better way. Sure, and uh, and the better way is to say that Christ is the one that meets the Romans two obligation. And yes, it's true. There will be good works in our lives and maybe our good works will testify to the fact that Christ paid it all for us and we belong to him and it's evidence. All of that's fine and good, but it starts to get blurry and fuzzy and not helpful because we start talking about Romans two thirteen. 13. So, yeah, yeah. um, I think it would be better to avoid what he does there. Uh, you know who addresses this and who addresses this is John Fesco in his book called The Theology of the Westminster Standards. And he addresses Beale as a matter of fact, toward the end of the book. And uh, it's in his appendix called Twofold Justification and the Reformed Tradition. And he takes issue with Beale, a colleague of his, hmm. as far as being a scholar and a systematician. But he says um, he takes issue with the way he cites Turriton um, and how he utilizes him. So uh, I, we're, not the, we're not the only ones picking up on this. Um, and so when well, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but it's page 392 and 393, uh, he thinks the way Beale utilizes Turriton is misleading and uh, that Turriton's actually teaching something else. Hmm. So Turretin, this is Fesco, goes to great lengths to reject a twofold justification and the pactum goes to great lengths to, to reject, reject a them. twofold justification. Um, it's not justification by faith and maybe later justification by your works. No, it's only ever going to be based upon the meritorious obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always and forever and always by Faith and only by faith and only in Christ. That's right. There you have it. Thank
1: all right. you. Well, thanks so much for all of your questions and thanks for being a part of the Pactum verse. You can send us questions for upcoming future episodes. We
0: aren't going to have any anytime soon, though, no, because we've we we
1: got to get back to business. We've got to get back to business. But you can send those questions to us at connect at org. You can also find us online on Instagram, Twitter, and all those fancy places online people are. Thanks for being a part of the Verse. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the Pactum.